hello, hello. We are back again. Chad and Melissa here with another episode of Our Human Experience. And today we were pulling some questions um, from a little Q&A Melissa posted, seeing if there's anything in particular that listeners would want to hear about or that they had questions around. And we took some of the more kind of popular ones and put them all into just a handful of questions here, and we'll touch on each one in our episode. Some of these may end up spinning off into, into another full episode because we could really crack them open and, and dig a little bit deeper into some of these questions because they were really good ones. So thank you for everyone who did submit some questions. And uh, without further ado, let's, let's rock and roll. So what do we have question number one on our list here, Melissa? All right. So we had a few questions about... Um how we school our children, and the main topic was uh, what made us decide to send them to Montessori versus public school. Ooh. <laughs> um, okay, well, I think that for us, one of the big things that we noticed was having worked in education mm-hmm. and, and having been teachers for five years before deciding to, to open the gym uh, not that that necessarily constitutes an expertise for every school across the country, but just generally reflecting on that and then our own experiences with school, talking to other friends who were teachers. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we knew a lot of a lot of people from college that went into that same profession. We just had a really hard time believing that the way our public education system is set up, that it's set up for success for our children. Um I think that was a big discussion around just generally yeah. what to, yeah, we where to at, educate them. We looked at, I mean, especially starting off with Dylan, you know, her personality, her tendency to be very physical and want to move around, you know, sitting in a desk for eight hours just didn't seem like something that she was going to thrive in mm-hmm. um, or something that we wanted coming from a movement background, something that we necessarily wanted for her. Sure. Um, when we looked into the Montessori program, we really appreciated how self-directed it was and how it really lent our children to be able to become more independent earlier in life. Yeah. So, you know, getting, being able to dress themselves, being able to feed themselves, being able to help with chores around the house, things like that, um, I think was a big driver too. Um, it wasn't just this kind of sit down study to a test, take a test kind of curriculum. Yeah. Um, which was one of the things that I appreciated most about it. Sure. And I, and I think it's important to point out, neither of us knew anything about a Montessori school before sending, no, sending our girls. I actually thought it was like a religious school. <laughs> I had no idea what it was. Sounds like it could be. Um, so, you know, when we learned out, when we learned about it, we, and just like Melissa said, that there's a lot of, a lot of the learning is centered around, independence around uh, basic life skills and social skills and those sort of things. That was really intriguing to us. It also kind of, the timeline when we put Dylan in to start, we were looking for childcare, daycare of some sort as well, Mm -hmm. because the the Webster Montessori here starts at 18 months where we take our girls. It It was really a great combination of, hey, here's some childcare, Right, but it's not just drop your kid off at a daycare and they just kind of crawl around and play. There's there's actually some some structure yeah. to the curriculum that they'll go through, 
And for me, one of the things that I also thought was really interesting is because the students are grouped together in various age groups, they're able to learn from older kids and eventually they become the older kid the in that classroom, in classroom and they're yeah. a leader. Yeah. And they're, they, yeah. they, and especially now with Dylan, not so much in the toddler classroom, um, but once they get into that next that next level, now that Dylan's the older student in her class, mm-hmm. she's come home a bunch of times and talked about how she helps to mm-hmm. teach lessons to some of the younger kids and, yeah. and those sort of things. So they they put them in these little leadership roles where they take care of the other people. Yeah. So there's just a lot of good life and social skills that yeah. come out of it. And although it was kind of a pain at first with the pandemic this last year, we were huge fans of the lack of technology in the classrooms. The fact that, you know, our, fa- our, our five-year-old dog, and... yeah, there's no, there's no screens used. Like, they're writing, they're, they're doing different tactile yeah, I mean, lessons yeah. and those sort of things. It was all, you know, it, it's all hands-on stuff, and, and it's not digital. There's so yeah. much more digital stuff in the world around us. Why do they need more of that at school? Yeah, and I'm trying to think back of, you know, kindergarten, first grade for me. I mean, yesterday Dylan was talking about learning multiplication yeah. in kindergarten, at a kindergarten level. Um, she's writing in cursive. She's reading. She, I mean, mm-hmm. the things that they're they're presenting to the children, I think, is just so much more in depth than, you know, a traditional school. Absolutely. And we actually talked to some parents who, you know, a lot of times it, it seems like a lot of parents will put their kids in Montessori for the first few years and then either the kindergarten, first mm-hmm. grade, they'll pull them out and they'll put them in the public school because obviously it, it costs money to send your kids there. And so um, a lot of parents, I think, do what we had discussed, which was if I'm going to pay for daycare, I'd rather have it be this... Um, curriculum-based program where I have them and then once they reach an age where they can go to their public school they do but we talked to a couple parents that were like you know our kid went to the public school and they're so far ahead of everyone else that they're just they're kind of bored and you know I remember one couple in particular they said you know luckily our daughter is like she's pretty self-reliant she's fine so she just kind of does her own thing and does extra work on her own I look at our two yeah. girls, and that's just, I don't foresee that being a thing that that happens. Yeah. Um, I mean, with that being said, the downsides are, for anyone who's looking at this sort of stuff, obviously there's a cost associated mm-hmm. with it, right? I, I want to say that um, this upcoming school year that we just committed to is somewhere around $15,000 for tuition for the two girls for the year. Um, Where we'd still need to pay for daycare for Aubrey, but Dylan yeah. would be in a free public school. Correct. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, it's it's definitely a sacrifice on our part financially, but it's important to us. Uh, But that's something you have to consider. And the other thing is obviously the the use of the technology and some of the the expectations for you as a parent is for you to be engaged with your kid and engaged in teaching some of the things that they're learning at school, which shouldn't be a negative thing, but it is it's the reality of something that you have to you have to consider when you're when you're signing up for that, um, that, you know, there is a, there's an expectation for you to play a role in not only your own students' education, but, uh, there's some parent hours and things like that, Mm -hmm. that you need to do, um, in the school to help with the classroom. And it's simple stuff. We we do it all the time. Um, but we really, I mean, we really enjoy it. And and I mean, at this point too, we're really grateful because they're able to go full days. They're able, the Mm -hmm. class sizes are smaller, the school size is smaller. So, you know, monitoring, COVID 
regulations, it's been a lot easier for them to do that. Yeah. So. And, and I will say, uh, I we do wish, if we were looking at things that we would love to see improved, again, because I want to give, like, an, if you're really thinking about this, um, there's times where the, the food, the kind of snack offering type things, it's not the best, especially since COVID hit. Now everything has to be like Package. prepackaged mm-hmm. and it's kind of bullshit food, which is unfortunate. Um, you know, it, periodically there'll be like four birthdays in like one week. So they, you know, so the girls, Dylan will come home and I had cupcake again today because Johnny's parents brought in cupcakes for his birthday. Uh, and which again, not a huge deal. Those sort of things we don't, uh, we would probably change. And the amount of, of movement is sometimes uh, lower, especially for Dylan. The toddler classroom they tend to move a little mm-hmm. bit more frequently uh, during the day. Dylan tends not to move as much, and the pandemic made it worse because prior to that, the the students basically free flow around the classroom which is one of the things that we like they get lessons on various things various stations in the class and they go they take the workout they work on it when they're done they pick it up and they put it away so they are actually up moving around throughout the day mm-hmm. doing different things so um you know if, if there's a little bit more structured movement now that that would be better i think for us in our opinion yeah but we also understand they have to, there's some compliance and things that they have yeah. to do to keep their doors open as a school. But that was a great question. And, uh, you know, we're, our plan is to keep them there for, you know, as long as we, as long as we can. The school yeah. only goes to sixth grade. So at some point they will have to transition uh, out and into something different. So we will, uh, we'll keep you guys posted on what we decide to do. <laughs> yeah. What's, uh, what's our next question? All right. Um, how do you eat? People are interested in how we eat. With my mouth. I chew the food <laughs> and then swallow it. Next question. Um, I can start with this yeah, one. Yeah, if you want to you kick sure. this off. So I've worked really hard um, not like focusing on any sort of binary or um, like specific way of attaching myself to food. So I eat everything. There's nothing, I don't have any dietary restrictions as far as like allergies or anything. So my body can physically handle pretty much anything. Except for oatmeal. I don't, my body doesn't love oatmeal or beans. Um, so I, I avoid those in large quantities. Um, but I have played around with pretty much everything when it comes to counting macros or dabbling with paleo or uh, fasting. Um, there was a keto stint there for a minute where, you know, I don't even know if I was ever truly in ketosis, but I was focusing more on a higher fat. Um, I try to just listen to my body at this point. It's very intuitive. Um, I try to keep morality out of the picture. So there's nothing good or bad, um, that I'm eating really about the purpose of what I'm eating. So is it fueling my body? Is it a celebration? Um, yeah, no, no real strict rules. Try yeah. to avoid those. I mean, obviously we live in the same house, so we have very similar, similar things. Mostly I just let Melissa feed me whatever <laughs> is available. Um, on a, on a serious note, she, I, I often say that Melissa made me a bit of an invalid 
she cooks really well. She makes great food. So I'm not really motivated to do a whole lot of my own food preparation and cooking, uh, but I will from time to time. And uh, it's very similar. That I don't think there's anything that I that's really off limits, other than we don't we don't eat a lot of sugar. No, uh, we so there's pretty limited. There's certainly times when you know we'll have some sweets and things like that, but uh, I would say we don't we tend not to eat a lot of sugar. And along the same lines, getting past this idea of food needing to be one thing or another and trying to build some awareness and intuition into what your body wants or needs and like yeah. and recognizing why do I want or need that you brought up is it celebration or am I just am I simply eating for fuel for the day and I think part of it is is recognizing if it is celebratory enjoy it and mm-hmm. and have fun with that also recognize if you're just bored mm-hmm. or frustrated or stressed out like those are things that we definitely as a couple have struggled with over the years with with regard to food but now it's just for the I would say 90% of the time we're done eating by seven you know we don't really we don't eat anything some most of the time probably a little bit earlier than that probably closer to like six six thirty depending on when we sit for dinner with the girls um so we're usually done by seven o'clock uh the vast majority of nights and it's typically stuff that we make at our house. So yeah, it's, we it's cook whole most foods, of our own food. Cooked. We buy stuff as much local as possible, um, in season vegetables. Yeah. yeah. I would love to make it more complicated so that I could sell <laughs> you guys a complex system on how to, it's not, I mean, just really, it's simple, but it's not easy. And I think a lot of people want to be able to eat intuitively. You know, you mm-hmm. mentioned that before. Yeah. And unfortunately, so many of us are so disconnected well, from our yeah. bodies, from our it health, takes for that sure. you can't just say, "Well, I just want to be. I just want to eat intuitively." Well, for some of us, eating intuitively might be a package of Oreos every night, because that's what I'm intuitively inclined <laughs> to do. Right? Like. It, it takes some cultivation, and there is value in creating some boundaries. We were talking with a friend earlier about this. There's value in building some discipline and creating some boundaries and some rules around things for a period of time. I mean, until I think, you start to I think understanding out. how to track macros is a very beneficial tool to have in your toolbox. 100%. I think it is something that you should be able to dip in and out of. Um, if for a reset, if there's something like a specific goal that you have, you know, if you're on. A, you know, it per- performing in a sport where you need to weigh something specific, like you need to monitor your food. Yeah. If you are trying to be competitive or, you know, build muscle, you need to make sure you're eating enough protein. So sometimes that intuition doesn't land where it needs to. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. If you have so specific goals. It's a nice way. I think, you know, it's something that I teach a lot of my clients. It's something that I've used personally. It's something that I've, you know, dip. I'm currently um looking to cut a little bit so i'm dipping back into monitoring a little more closely but still like recognizing if you're using that as you know the only way to pay attention to your Mm. food or if it's adding more More stress stress to Mm -hmm. your life right you you could be undoing some of the benefits you're doing and i i agree that at least messing with it is for a lot of people it's just simply eye-opening 
as well, to what creates, they what they actually it creates consume. that awareness that a lot of people are lacking, and they say, "Oh wow, like this is what a portion of protein should look like, or this is what a day of like really great eating should look like." Yeah, you know. Um, and then you're able to back. The more you do that, the more you're able to back off of that and intuitively eat because you understand what a four to six ounce portion of sure. protein looks like, right? Yeah, you understand what that single, what that day looks like, so you can work to replicate it as often as it makes sense for you in your life. I mean, a valuable thing for a lot of people with regard to that might simply be try if you've never done it before, track your macronutrient consumption. Don't change anything. Just track. It. Oh yeah. Because there's yeah. so many people that come to the table that are like, oh, I uh, I eat really healthy. And what does that mean? Because we all have different definitions mm-hmm. of what healthy eating means. Yeah. You know, some people are vegan and say that that's the healthy way to eat. And whether yeah. it is or isn't, that's very different than someone who's eating more of a ketogenic or a high fat, low carb type diet. Like right. there's, and it, it's, it can work for different people. So that's the other part of it that's confusing. So when you have someone that's just said, and then there's a lot of people that fool themselves yeah. into thinking that they eat healthy well and, and you know really this, is, this is a question that obviously came up for us but it's a question that i see you know people asking influencers on instagram like yeah. the way i train and the way i eat shouldn't matter to you like all of that is pretty indi- should be pretty individualized right other than general so, principles right so you know taking some of the things we said but understand that those might not work for you sure yeah <laughs> Awesome. What's uh, what's our next question? How has our training changed over the years? So what we do for exercise. Hmm. And I guess our thoughts. We could talk about our thoughts behind that. Sure. Uh, I'll, I'll jump on this one first. Okay. So significantly less, we'll call it intense, and significantly more intentional like than, than it used to be. Um exercise for me for a long time so I started really actually working out when I was in high school and I decided to to play football and had zero background in sports I had never played a sport until I was a sophomore in high school and so um being having access to the weight room and not being very good my first year and being weak and slow and fat uh, I started working out and I was really just following whatever I was told at the time. I didn't know anything about what I was doing, but I worked really hard. And um, and I got very strong as a result. And from there, went into the Marine Corps where it's, you know, there's obviously a, a push to just grind yourself into the ground, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and that mentality just kind of carried through for a long time for me where it was always hard. I mean, when... When I was going to Cortland, I used to go in and my workouts were anywhere from two and a half to over three hours long. And they were, you know, I, there were people that lived in some of the dorms near me that were like, you you're, you just got back? Like, you were there when I got there. We did our workout. We came back, showered, and you're just getting back sort of thing. And, and it was nuts. It was like strength training, some cardio hit the bags. I was still doing MMA at the time. I finished every workout with, uh, with a one mile sprint on a treadmill. Like I just set it at a sub six minute pace. And like, and that was, I just did that. Um, when we moved out to California, we kind of slacked off at one point. 
uh, with our own training. We were both working in a gym and we were just working a lot. And we, that's when we found CrossFit and started training out there. And that obviously just continued the trend of push, go hard, you know, push to exhaustion, everything's intensity all the time. And there was a part of me that should have known better, but I, it was exciting and fun. And it was a place that I was very comfortable digging into. Um, it honestly took probably, what was it like four years ago or so when my back started having issues. Yeah. Yeah. So some back issues that really started to inhibit me four years or so ago. And, uh, it forced me to, to redirect how I, how I focused on training and how I approached it. Uh, because the reality is I wasn't doing anything professional with it, right? You know, I wasn't, I wasn't going to go earn money weightlifting or earn money doing CrossFit. It was just a fun thing that I liked to do. And now it was, Put, not only putting me in pain, but it was just like it was ruining parts of my life. I just couldn't do things that I wanted to do. Um, so got myself back into jujitsu and a little bit more with just flow type movements and um, being more playful and exploratory with, with movement, especially with our kids now. Mm-hmm. I yeah. don't want them to have a dogmatic approach to fitness and exercise where they feel like they have to be doing this thing. It's we always keep it really playful when they're here at the gym. And they, you know, Dylan will deadlift and do farmer carries and kettlebell swings and stuff like that too because she sees us do it and wants to do it. But she also will like dance Set and skip an in between course, and yeah. do an obstacle course. And so yeah. it's a lot of that and it's a lot of um, just having fun. And similar to what we said with food is feeling some awareness and some intuition around how I want to move that particular day and coming in and, and honoring that. And whether that means do the workout I was going to do, but just lighten up the weight a little bit, or if that means today's a day where I feel like pushing it, so let's let's do it. Or let's just not even do the thing that you were planning on doing. Let's just move and play and have some fun. Mm-hmm. And I do a lot of crawling and rolling around and spinning things all over the place and that sort yeah. of stuff. So what's your cool. uh, evolution been like there, Big Moose? Um. So I played sports in in high school, and um, the weight room was never a thing. It was, you know, the football team, the lacrosse team went into the weight room, and, you know, the softball team, the field hockey team that I was on, we'd go into the hallway and do, like, plyometric drills, like, preseason before we would go outside. Um, and so it wasn't, you know, I, I grew up in a home where my mom would, would go in the basement every morning and, and work out, and... My dad would a little bit, but it, I never really was exposed to, like, what weight training looked like. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoyed being physically active. I enjoyed being outside, playing sports. Uh, co- college, you know, going to Cortland, walking into that weight room was the first time that I was really like, okay, let's do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't really know what I was doing, right? Um, I was doing a lot of stuff with dumbbells. I didn't. I was never really into machines or anything. Um, so... Yeah, I did a lot of crunches. Yeah, you did. Fuck ton of crunches. When we started dating, I'm like, I can't do a thousand <laughs> crunches or sit ups with you. I was just like, oh, um, it hurts. I and thought I was think, in good you know, my, you know, so, <laughs> yeah, I didn't necessarily know what I was doing, but I saw physical change in my body. So I, I was motivated to continue learning mm-hmm. about it. And obviously, going through our PE program and exercise science, like, 
I learned more about sure. effective way to, ways to do that. Um, personal training in California was still doing some stuff there. And then you started CrossFit. I followed suit a few months later. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the first time that I had ever touched a barbell um, or any, like probably lifted anything over like a 50 pound dumbbell. I'm mm-hmm. going to guess like even with like, you know, a goblet squat or a deadlift or anything like that. Um, and I didn't really know what my body was even capable of. You know, I thought I was working hard when we were going to like, you know, any 24 hour fitness or whatever. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I was one of the youngest women in the gym at that time. And like, people were like, you know, a body weight back squat's pretty good. And I'm like, well, I weigh like 130. And they're like, well, put 135 on the bar, see if you can squat it. And I'm like, that's supposed to be hard. And, like, that first time I squatted, I put 135 on the bar and was mm. able to do it. So it was, like, this immediate, like, oh, I'm a lot stronger than I know I knew. And I'm now motivated to figure out how strong I really am or mm. can get. Um, I've always loved strength training since that point, um, pushing my body in ways physically, like, strength-wise. So very slow, very heavy, I'm okay with. Um I never really enjoyed the conditioning piece of CrossFit, but I just, I saw what it did to competitors' bodies, and I was like, well, if I want to look like that, then I should probably, you know, train like that. Um, And then, you know, owning the gym, being a leader in the gym, doing all that, but I never, I never liked it. I don't like moving fast. (laughs) I don't like doing a million pull-ups and kettlebell swings and going out for a run as you know, for a 15-minute AMRAP, I never, I never did it. I never enjoyed it. Um, I do have some regrets with some things that I attempted to do early on in my CrossFit years that I think, you know, I'm very mobile, Mm -hmm. but I was not very stable, especially upper body. Um, So I think I lacked a lot of strength and stability in my shoulders, in my neck. Um, So I, I did things that I don't think I was physically ready for. So, like, sure. I definitely kipped handstand push-ups and pull-ups before I did any, you know, I could do 15 kipping pull-ups and not one strict pull-up. Like, yeah. that I know now is wildly inappropriate. Um, so, I mean, and those were lessons I think I needed to learn. Um, kind of fast forward to today, I still love strength training. My mindset has changed a lot regarding an expectation of what I should be doing. You know, mm. I have kind of a base set of like, I want to be able to do this. I want to be able to deadlift double my body weight. I want to be able, you know, and I can do those things easily. And do I need to do more? You yeah. know, what's the difference between a 260 pound deadlift and a 300 or 315? That's my ego saying I can deadlift over 315 or over 300. Yeah. It's not, or, you know, I'm comparing myself to someone that, you know, I deem as strong and I, I need to do what they're doing. So I've noted a lot where my ego kind of comes in. Um, and you called me out on some stuff where I'm like, I wonder how much this is like on the lever arms or something where I don't really know what the implement weighs. And you're like, why does it matter? Does it feel good or feel heavy? And I'm like, Oh yeah. Like, you know, I was very into tracking my scores and being a leader on the leaderboard. And, and now I realize a lot of that was ego and, and getting caught up in the yeah. in in the momentum um, of it all, I think. And so, you know, I, I think, I've said it before, but I think that getting pregnant was a wonderful thing for me. It proved that 
you know, what my body could do and how my body could recover. But it also gave me this moment of pause to really reflect on, like, I wasn't able to do or shouldn't have been able to do a kipping pull-up or a handstand push-up during those times. So it really gave me, forced me, it was like, like when people get injured, but it was a positive thing, sure. you know, for me, where yeah, it was, sure. it was able to reflect and say, do these things even matter? And are they beneficial for my life? Yeah. So. And, and if, if so, how much? I, I think a, a big thing that we get, I, that I feel like is, is misunderstood with our move away from CrossFit and everything along those lines is that we're discouraging people to work hard. And that's really not, oh, no. that's not it at all. But what we are encouraging people to do is to learn some of the lessons that they learned. So I, I was thinking as you were talking about tracking everything and then now being more just kind of intuitive and having this framework of things that are important to you to include in your training and those get included one way or another, mm -hmm. it's similar to how we eat, right? So there there is value if you haven't, mm -hmm. if you've never really I mean, done much around strength training and then you decide to just get started you probably should track what you're doing and get a coach well, and, and, and understand and, that the basics work. Yeah. Pushing, pulling, hinging, squatting, pressing. Like, those things are fundamentally appropriate anytime. Yeah. You know? And as a, as a human being, the hope would be that you learn these kind of fundamental skills and that at some point you start to be able to integrate them into your life in a way that, that is meaningful for mm -hmm. you. Yeah. You talked a little bit, you didn't say it specifically this way, but you alluded to minimum effective dose. How much mm -hmm. do I need to do? Part of the issue that has happened with, with CrossFit, especially because as the sport of CrossFit grew, it leaked into the delivery to the everyday mm -hmm. person where it became this, like, every day is go hard or go home. And the reality is that that's just not a path to success for no. anything you do no. right it, it just isn't and it's also addictive and a lot of people don't understand that that, that you become a cortisol junkie just smashing your body every day and you, you're like but i feel good when i do it. it's a stress reliever okay but then you can't move it's also a stressor yeah. it also breaks your body down and if you yeah. don't take adequate time to recover then you just keep breaking down and you don't ever get stronger, which yeah. is why a lot of people get to a certain point and then see a plateau mm -hmm. and they see, they have all sorts of, and listen, I'm walking proof of it with multiple, uh, head traumas, knocked unconscious a handful of times in my life. And then like lifestyle factors and training approaches that really just beat my body down. And so I have to be very aware of how I'm responding mm -hmm. to something or it'll wreck me for days now. And yeah. I'm not an old man, right? I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'll be 40 this year and I have to be, it's not as bad now as it was maybe a couple of years ago, mm -hmm. but I have to be really, I don't want to use the word cautious, but I just, I, I have to be intentional and aware of how my body's responding to something. And it, maybe one day I go hard and then I don't have another hard training day for yeah. two or three days later, or maybe four days later, you yeah. know, and you just do that. And, and like you said, my ability to recover and go back and live my life, I think that's more important to me, especially I mean, with the kids. Yeah. I mean, being able to feel good after a workout as opposed to feeling crushed is 100% my goal. That doesn't mean that I'm not working hard. It doesn't mean that I'm never sore, but for the most part, I'm not 
leaving my training sessions feeling beat up. Yeah. Or I mean, exhausted. I would say if you wanted to assign a number to it, 80% of your workouts should be moderate effort or... I mean, yeah, I'm never, I'm, you know, on an RP scale, a one to 10 scale, like I live in that six, seven, eight range, yep. you know, every once in a while I'll go hard on a bike or I'll push a deadlift or something, but I'm never maxing out. Yep. I have no desire to ever find what a one rep max deadlift is or one, I mean, because it's not relevant, it's not meaningful. Yeah. It's not yep. relevant to my goals in life right now. Yeah. And, and on the same token, for some people that will swing the other way. Uh, you know, if 80% of your workouts should be moderate, we'll call it a seven or eight RPE out of 10. Um, then I would say, you know, maybe 10% should be hard, higher mm -hmm. nine or 10 out of mm -hmm. 10 RPE, maybe. And the rest should be, the rest of your activity should be easy. So the other 10% and, and you could even add in additional like walking and stuff is always beneficial, but yeah. have some easy stuff in your I workouts mean, easy too. Easy doesn't mean like today, our workout we did today was mostly isometrics and a little bit of crawling patterns yeah, and, and things like that. You know, relatively low heart rate. It was the sweatiest I've been in a few days. <laughs> you know, it doesn't mean that it was easy. It's because I was looking know, extra sexy. Uh, so sexy. Yeah. But you know. A 30-second wall sit will get you, you know? It can. Cool. Um, no, that's a good one. Yeah, so, I mean, again, just like with the food, guys, it, ask questions for people that you that you, that you you actually know are yeah. doing it and doing it well and you know that they're feeling good. Don't just assume that because someone looks aesthetically a certain way that they have the right answer for you. And then bring some of those tools and try them. Be your own guinea pig, yeah. but, but bring some awareness to how you're actually feeling when you do X, Y, Z, when you and, eat this type of food yeah. or when you exercise this way. Yeah. And, and give it some time to, to actually have an effect. Cre and create a solid foundation and, uh, you know, awareness practice around that stuff before you decide to just kind of do it intuitively. Yeah, absolutely. What do we got next? Um, so we had some things questions regarding like habit change like what what do you think is the most beneficial habit um i like this one so first step for someone to kind of change their habits so if if someone deems themselves like every, fire. everything needs to Soup change sandwich. where what do you think is the first thing that they should focus on um so for whatever reason, this just popped into my head years ago when our friends Meg and Zach started dating. I used to mess with Meg all the time. I would talk to Zach and he would do something really nice. He's a really sweet guy and he would do something really nice for her. And I'd be like, man, you're doing it all wrong. Set the bar super low. It's an easy hurdle. <laughs> like you keep, you start setting the bar this high right away. You're going to be, it's going to be hard to top that as time goes on, right? And, you know, it was a, I was just joking around with him and kind of busting her chops. But in reality, in terms of how habit formation often works for people, that's a really good approach to it is let's start with something that are, they, they it's almost like it seems too easy, like everything else, like mm -hmm. nutrition, yeah. right? People want this complex thing because then it's a reason that they can't do it. Yeah. Right? I can't do that. I don't have the money. I don't have the time to weigh and measure all my food. If there's a reason for us to not do it, then it's an excuse 
Absolutely. Right? And it's validated because it's really complicated. So I would say with any habit formation, if you if you feel like you're in a place where just everything's kind of a mess, right? Pick one or two things that are going to be big momentum shifters, big bang for your buck, mm-hmm. and that the goal seems so easy that it almost seems silly. Yeah, I mean, I and think, then do it consistently. Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, I think if someone wants like a to do right away, focus on your sleep. Stole, I think, stole the words out of my mouth. Yeah. That was the next thing I was going to. I talk mean, about. I think that if you are not sleeping well, it trickles down to every other decision you are making in your day. You're not. You're less likely to work out. You're less likely to eat well. You're less likely to have the energy and motivation yeah. to, you know, get outside, play with your kids, read a book, any of those things. And let's and so, let's even shift. Let's shift even the language around that. When you are getting good quality and quantity sleep. All of those things seem easier. Your ability mm-hmm. to cope with challenges, your energy to yeah. play with your kids. And there are legitimate physiological responses. So, like, if you are not sleeping well, like, notice after a poor night of sleep, I'm always hungrier the next day. Mm. And I'm not hungry for, like, broccoli and chicken. Like, I'm like, hmm, we should make some pancakes or we should cook yeah. an egg sandwich or we should, like, you know, it's kind of like when you're hungover, <laughs> you know? Sure. So, um, yeah, I like your your discussion around making things simple um, and make it so simple that it's it, you feel like an idiot if you don't do it. Like literally, like I'm not going to go for a run tomorrow. I'm just going to put my running shoes on yeah, and walk around my house. Or I'm going to put them right by right? my bed or by right, the door or right. whatever the... You know, yeah. and then the next day I'm going to go for one minute. I'm at I'm least going to go outside uh, yeah. with my shoes on. You know, and then, you you know, a week of, like, running for, like, to the house next door and back, you're going to feel, like, okay, I should maybe just I should more. try. Why don't I just go a little bit farther? <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so making it so simple that it's, like, almost impossible not to do it. Well, and then on, on top of that is when you when you go above and beyond that kind of minimum requirement that you've set for yourself. It makes you feel even better because now mm-hmm. not only did you go out and run for the minute that you promised that you would, but you actually went for ten minutes. Right. Yay for me. Right? Yep. And 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 I think that so making it making the, the parameters around it easy is a really big one. I'm a huge fan. We talked about this before. We had a whole episode. You can go back and listen to it. Uh, around environmental success. And creating an environment and that obviously you know when we look at sleep that's a huge part of it there's a lot of people that that we know in our lives and we've met they're like oh yeah no I, I sleep really well and you go to their house you're like there's no way you have a ton of electronics on in your room yeah. like, at, at night and like so there's simple things I know for us we don't have a TV in our room or we have blackout curtains we do our best to keep the room cool so Mm -hmm. down you know uh mid 60s ish Mm -hmm. in there is is what we shoot for um and we keep our our time to wake and time to go to bed roughly the same every Mm -hmm. night and Mm -hmm. there's certainly nights like last night we stayed up a little bit later than we normally do Mm -hmm. but typically we're in bed by 9 9 30 reading and uh and usually lights are off by 9 30 or 10 and we're up by six. Mm-hmm. And we have that just, that's pretty, pretty ingrained in us. Mm-hmm. And from time to time, 
we'll stay up a little bit later. Maybe we'll, you know, sleep 20 minutes later. Not really, because Dylan is there to wake us up. So we have her as like a backup alarm clock. Uh, but those things, they, they seem, it's like when people tell you, eat whole food, eat fruits and vegetables and meat and things like that that you cook yourself that doesn't come in a package. That you want, that's the first step for your diet. And they're like, well, no, I, like, I need more. Mm-hmm. I need more rules. No, comply with those rules first. Right. Do those things. Prove yeah. to yourself that you can do those simple things because then you can start to layer other little things yeah. on. Then you can say, oh, you know what? I do a, a relaxation meditation before bed or I do this, whatever the thing mm-hmm. is. You add something else yeah. in there that makes it feel a little bit better. But uh, I, I think environmental success and making it easy and, and choosing one or two things to start with. Yeah, don't make sure you're not like trying to change everything all at once. Yeah, that's and that's something that we're, we've yeah. been guilty of a number of times. And I think also having a way to track it. So whether it's a whiteboard or a journal or something that you're able to physically see, I think that visual is really powerful because, mm-hmm. again, we have a really good job of lying to ourselves and saying, like, oh, yeah, I read most nights this week. And then you look at your habit tracker and it was like, Two or three nights. Yeah. Well, that's not most, right? So, yeah. you know, being able to identify where you're currently landing. And just like you talked about with macros, like I think not changing anything and seeing like where you are just kind of organically landing with some of these habits is really good. So if you're trying to drink more water and the goal is 100 ounces, well, having a starting point of where you're currently at is helpful, right? Because if you're only drinking 30 ounces a day, going to 100, is you're going to be in the bathroom all day, yeah. right? So you should probably work up to that, yeah. right? So I think um, also understanding that, and I, I mean, I love the visual. I love being able to physically check off. Yeah. And then also, that you know, if it's not a check off, like that little just awareness piece of, you Tomorrow, know, make sure I do this. Because make I sure didn't I do, do it, it or or reflect on why why didn't I do it? And then if it's four or five days, or you know the majority of the days in the week where you didn't do it, okay, is it the way I'm trying to do this habit, or is this habit just not meaningful to me? Do I need more discipline around it, or yeah. is this something that why am I trying to include this in my life? Do I feel like I have to because someone told someone me told I need to? Right. Yeah, uh, I I do like I like the habit nest board that we have. Yeah. You guys, if you are listening and you're interested, it's kind of big. It's like, what, three and a half feet wide or something like yeah. that and, and probably two feet tall. We put it on a little whiteboard because it's just like a stick, like a giant sticker basically. Uh, but it's nice how it's laid out for, for tracking yeah. some habits. There's lots and of journals and stuff out there too. With little I just like that out. because it's up and oh, it's visual. It's yeah, yeah. in front of you versus in a journal, it's in a closed book. And then obviously having a coach or an accountability friend that someone's just going to check on some of the things you're doing, yep. spouse, whatever it might be, those are really helpful. And and similar to our discussion around nutrition and movement, eventually the hope would be that you don't need to track. Yeah. You don't need to put an X every day because it's just, it it's just something you do. Yeah. You, you read or you meditate or you get outside or whatever the thing is that you're trying mm-hmm. to yeah, add or omit from yeah. your life. Uh, I think that's one that also gets looked over really easily. If you're someone who has a tendency, maybe you're really busy, you're working a couple of jobs or you're going to school and working, you have kids, whatever the case may be, you're a Mm -hmm. busy person. I would look to omit things Mm -hmm. first Mm -hmm. rather than saying, I need to. Automate, delegate, yeah. Right? Automate, delegate, and omit. 
mm-hmm. and, and look to do those things before you start adding new things. Because yeah. if you're already, if you feel like you're stretched thin to begin with Absolutely. in regards to your time and your energy and your effort, mm-hmm. and then you add even just a couple of more, we'll call them responsibilities or expectations to yeah. your day, they're just going to be that much harder. And a lot of times there are things that we have in our life that we're maintaining for one reason or another that we don't really need, they don't serve us. It's just a little bit of added stress. And they might not be, it might not be a big deal. It might not be this monumental thing, but it may be just enough that if you take it off your plate, like, oh, you know, I, I automated all of our bills now. Right. Right. I don't have to go. It, it, mm-hmm. it usually only takes me 20 minutes, but it's still something that I have to remember to do. Yeah. So, Absolutely. yeah, I, I, I like that. Automate stuff, make it easy, change your environment and, and only pick one or two things to start with. Mm-hmm. Those are really good general rules of thumb for habit creation so that it'll stick and then and stick to those things for again give yourself at least a yeah. month or so of consistently a, doing it a, before you start to add it turn up the mm-hmm. volume or add any yeah other. a big piece of of success i think with these things is being able to keep promises to yourself and prove to yourself that you can actually do the things you're going to say you say that you want to yeah. do build right? trust so, in you mm-hmm. yeah because ultimately we could tell you you know, you could write in exactly what your life looks like. And we could come up with a the best plan in the world to turn your health and your life and your happiness around, but you need to execute it. Yeah. And we can't no one no one can do it for you. And so if you don't believe in yourself, if you don't trust yourself to do the thing that you said you're gonna do, then it's just never gonna happen. And if you already have, which a lot of people do, a lot of people come to us in our coaching businesses and our that you can tell that they lack belief in themselves and they lack oh, trust in themselves. Yeah. And so that's it's a pretty common thing. So let yourself take some time to build that trust. Well, yeah, and, and stay try to stay consistent with it because most of the time when we're starting something new, we're like gung-ho first, you know, two, three weeks maybe, and then we start to, you know, peter out. Mm-hmm. So really, you know, I use a mantra sometimes like, I used it this morning when I didn't want to get out of bed. I I just say to myself, I keep the promises that I make to myself. Yeah. And, you know, that just makes me think about, like, is it worth it to lay in bed and not do my morning routine that I know I want to be doing and is effective for my life? Or is laying here for an extra 10 minutes and then having to be woken up by our daughter, is that how I want the day to play out? Yeah. So. Awesome. Uh, let's do one more. Okay. Um, non-negotiables. What are some non-negotiables in our lives? Terrorism. <laughs> we don't negotiate with terrorists. Um, sure we do. We have a five-year-old and a three-year-old. Uh, we negotiate with terrorists every day. Uh, <laughs> um, let's see. Non-negotiables. I mean, you know what? As silly as it sounds, the first thing that popped up into my head is soda. Like, there, And it's not necessarily just soda, but like, there's certain things that we just don't even think about yeah. having in our home and in our lives. Whether And I think this is where we'll, we'll come across people that are like, oh, I just don't know, and they have this, that, and the other. I'm like, it's a cultivated thing at a certain point where there's never a time where, you know, I come home like, oh, man, Melissa, I walked by the Pepsi aisle, and I was like, just being I mean, even if we have like a mixed drink, there. we'll mix it with seltzer or yeah. something. Yeah, so th- yeah. there's... So I think about stuff like that. I mean, that's a that's a non-negotiable. Um, and I also, 
I also think that maybe non-negotiable is is a tough phrase, right? Mm-hmm. Because one of the things that we've been working on lately in terms of our language and the way that we're trying to view the world is removing this binary definition of the world. Like you always choose the grapefruit spindrift. Like, do you always 100% of the time, are you locked into that, that right. choice or that decision? You always say this, or you always do this, or you well, never and, do and if, this. If the last 10 years and ultimately the last two years has taught me, it's that, you can continuously reevaluate, readjust, change, move, decide you were wrong, decide you were right, whatever those things are. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I have a hard time with non-negotiables too because I don't I think they're ever evolving for us. Sure. I mean, there are some there are some values like, you know, I will be a hard worker. My kids will be a hard worker. Um hard workers. I I the way I, think we, I think it. we have some non-negotiables when it comes to raising our kids. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this question is is tricky for me because it my non-negotiables have changed. Yeah. I feel like it um, carries with it the weight of, yeah, but if you've ever done this, well, then it's not a non-negotiable. So I would, I'd probably reframe it as principles. Mm-hmm. And some of those principles are we're home for dinner. And we sit for dinner as a family. We don't go through a fucking drive-thru mm-hmm. and grab chicken McNuggets and eat on the road. That's mm-hmm. not what we do. You know, we, we make it a point the vast majority of the time. Does that mean 100% of the time that we're all present for dinner? No. Not at all. Yeah. Does that but, mean we never order pizza? No. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. However, the, the vast majority of the time, we are all present for that. I think that in general, the principle of presence is a part of our lives with our family. And obviously mm-hmm. we chose a path that allowed us to have more physical presence with our family than maybe someone who's going in, you know, working the nine to five mm-hmm. and doing this, that, and the other thing where they, they need to be gone mm-hmm. all day. You can still choose principles like that. They just look mm-hmm. a little bit differently. Uh, I, I would say, I guess, Growth, change, evolution, to me, are non-negotiables. It's happening anyway, right? Yeah. And this is so. Yeah. It's one of the things that I think people will say things along the lines of like, "Oh, I just hate change." Like, it. You can hate it all you want. That's like saying, "I hate the solar system," or "I hate the sun." I mean, like, fine. It's gonna it's still coming. come up, <laughs> yeah. right? Whether you dislike it or not, and. So it's a, it's always a weird thing that you can change can be uncomfortable, absolutely, and often is, especially if it's meaningful and and big change, you know, impactful. It's definitely uncomfortable, but I think that one of our non-negotiables or one of our principles in our life is is embracing change and being willing yeah. to walk toward change to facilitate it intentionally even Mm -hmm. beyond just accepting and embracing that the world will change around you also recognizing a time to actively participate in change Mm -hmm. and say this is this is the direction that we want to go i mean that's habit formation it's all those things yeah and I, i think that's it's something that even though someone may not verbalize a dislike for change in general you'll see it in their actions. Like they want to go back. We were talking about this the other day. 
with uh, just some people that you saw on social media making reference to be to feeling like they were back in you know in another space and time from previous years and we both kind of looked at that and it's like that's it's cool that you are happy about this thing that you have going on and it's also kind of strange to me that you're clinging to this experience and identity that was two or three or four years ago mm-hmm. and it's it just I get it because there's things that I will have fond memories and reminisce about I'm like oh man I would love to go do that and then I also am I bring a certain amount of awareness to the table if I have the opportunity to go do that thing that I have a fond memory of do I really even like it anymore right. or have I evolved past this thing I mean to, to simplify it on like a silly level, you'll talk about like a snack food or a treat or something that you had as a kid. You're like, I used to love these. And then you try one and you're like, this is gross. Yeah. You know? The thought of eating a Skittle right now is like, <laughs> you know, So yeah. it's, you know, it, I, I think that that's certainly a principle that we have as, yeah. a, as a couple uh, that we've embraced and that guides us. Uh, I think as, a, as far as a non-negotiable is that the vast majority of our the decisions that we make are in line with our health and well-being mm-hmm. and with having a, a strong family unit. I mean, that's... And, and it just sounds being good humans. Vague like, and cliche, being good humans ourselves is. and raising good humans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, non-negotiables. Hold the fucking door open. That's one of mine. Mm-hmm. Hold the door open. Put your card away. It's another non-negotiable for me. <laughs> okay, now I'm coming up with it. <laughs> Uh, you know, so there are, it's a lot of little things, I think, like that. And I guess, you know, keeping it broad and and having it say what are non-negotiables, it could, it could be non-negotiables as it pertains to our movement, our nutrition, our roles as parents, our relationship. But it all, it comes back to some similar to what you said, which is, am I, am I being what I consider to be a, a good person? Am I acting in a virtuous way? Am mm-hmm. I doing something that you know deep down inside when you when you make a choice, whether that's a food choice, a discussion topic choice with a friend or family member or loved one, a you know professional choice or something centered around your work. We know when that choice is where we get that little feeling in our gut where it's not it's not what we want or should be doing, right? It's it's not in alignment with the person that mm-hmm. we want to be and we're doing it and it's also not really, it's not a celebratory thing. It's not like we're just kind of doing this gross thing and you can feel it and you do it anyway. And that feeling's a little bit different than when you choose to do something and it's uncomfortable, but you know it's going to be, right. it, it's quote unquote the right thing to do or it's something that, that moves you closer to alignment with who you want to be and the type of person that you want to be defined as. I mean, I, so I think about my friend, Chris will talk about deathbed meditations a lot. And it's an interesting concept. The stoic philosophy talks about it a lot as well, which is you, you basically envision yourself on your deathbed, the last days of your life. And what has your life looked like? Mm-hmm. What have you done up until that point? How have you lived? How have you treated other people? 
are they are all of those categories in alignment in a way that you would feel peaceful on your deathbed or are you filled with regret and angst around those mm-hmm. and that's a it could be a pretty big indicator of, of some things that need to change yeah. in your life yeah uh, and while it sounds morbid to some people it's actually meant to be the opposite it's meant to invigorate you to live life Better and now. to do the yeah. things now right mm-hmm. and so i think that's an interesting yeah. concept as well when you if you're unsure of how to land on a quote-unquote non-negotiable or or create principles in your life or what those even are mm-hmm. you know give it some time to think about but that's one i think a lot of people can uh if, if you think about that kind of idea or that yeah. scenario where you're on your deathbed you know are yeah. the things i'm doing are they things that i'd be proud well, it's of creating core values for yourself and then living based on those yeah and allowing those to evolve and change and as you grow yeah a lot especially the definition i think a lot of times people will come up with a, a core value i whatever i eat healthy right well what does that mean that definition of eating healthy may change over time so being okay with that. Well, and sometimes it's for mental health, for me at least. I mean, we have, we've done some exercises with some of our clients where we write out philosophy statements. And part of my food philosophy statement or my nutrition philosophy statement is if I deem something worth it, if it's celebration, then maybe I don't, it doesn't fit in line with what quote unquote healthy food looks mm-hmm. like. But maybe I'm going to eat the brownie. Sure. You know? And maybe that's still the healthier choice for me than not eating the brownie at the birthday party and restricting myself and feeling bad about myself and, you know, all the other angst and anxiety and stuff that comes along with those types of decisions. Want to get out of the party quickly because you don't want to have to exercise willpower any longer. Right. Right? Whatever it might be. Yeah. No, that's great. Uh let's uh we're gonna call it there guys again i wanna i wanna thank everyone who sent questions in we're gonna do this periodically we're gonna send out yeah, some this was fun. requests for q and a's um keep them coming the uh we are open books here so it can be certainly can be health and fitness related and it can also be just general and and just have whatever questions you might have uh for us uh and with that we're gonna say goodbye you got anything else no, that was Any fun. parting yeah. words? No, I enjoyed that. Awesome. Guys, thank you all so much for sending the questions in. Thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time.